I cannot imagine where the majority of this world today, with everything that they're looking at, I cannot imagine what they're wondering, who has what in control. Their future doesn't look solid. Financial stability, many of them have lost fortunes in the last couple of months. Absolute fortunes have been lost because of the economy. All uh, the money becoming worthless. People just don't know what to do. But I'm so glad the way Brother Joel said it there. The Lord Jesus hasn't had to change one plan. There's not been one interruption made in heaven. Everything is exactly the way that he knew that it would be. And we're so grateful. We know that these things can certainly affect us as, as mortals. That's why we need to have our faith and our confidence completely in him. We greet you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. So happy to be able to bring you the service again. Uh, appreciate all the brethren visible and invisible. We always have brothers that are on the platform with his brothers in the sound booth, video booths upstairs in the internet parts and the Deacon brothers that's been coming being here. Appreciate the special singers that are coming. Each one of them it's made a, an effort to be able to make it available for those of you on the internet. We trust that God will grant it that we can be back together. The deacons uh, met here on Monday night trying to discuss what we can do to be able to make it make it work and we're still waiting for our governor to hear exactly how many people he's going to let us uh, assemble together we're here in kind of different numbers so once we get that kind of sorted through we'll we'll let you know that as soon as possible we'd like to read again tonight if the lord would help us from first john chapter 2 verse 15 <clears throat> we we know that god's word is so precious and so wonderful and it'll never never fail. Uh, we, we think of these words that John wrote so many, many years ago, and yet they are still alive and well today. Uh, they're, every person on the face of the earth tonight can be found identified in these three verses, even those who don't believe in God. It doesn't really matter whether they believe in him or not. They'll stand before him. Notice the way that John phrases this, and he, he catches it as using the terminology of that day, which when he says the word world, which was the Greek word cosmos, which was the world order. And at that time when John was here, it was the Roman Empire that was um, in control of the known world. Seemed as if though it was an empire that would never, ever fail. It seemed as if one that was so strong, uh, everybody they came against, they conquered, defeated them. But yet we know that the world is not really Rome. And the world is not necessarily Gentiles, or the world is not necessarily Jews. But the world is an order. So it changes from whether it be the Medo-Persians or the Greeks or the whoever it would be, that part would change. But the headship of it stays exactly the same, which is Satan. And John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, which is of the cosmos or the world order. Now, had it been just of Rome, then when the Roman Empire crumbled, then the cosmos would have crumbled with it. But the kingdoms of the world only fit into the cosmos order. And we know that very soon America will be destroyed, be annihilated like all the rest of the kingdoms of the world. 
And we know that in the time of the millennium, the kingdom of the son of David will be ushered in. But the kingdom of the world will still live in the hearts of those that rebel against the messianic empire. And when Satan is raised up, they will revolt again. Rome won't be nowhere to be found. Babylon will be nowhere to be found. But the cosmos, which is the kingdom of the world controlled by Satan, is what we're looking at. Notice he says in verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's bow our heads together, if you would, and take our, our needs and our requests before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Brother Darrell has already brought before you these needs, and Lord, they were, uh, they were pressing and so serious. Lord Jesus, we know that you're a God that answers prayer. We want to stand here tonight, Lord, and thank you. Just last service that we were here requesting prayer for Brother Jewel, hearing back from his wife and his daughter, Lord, that he's made a, a tremendous comeback. For that, we are so thankful to you, Heavenly Father. We know that you're the one that has moved on the behalf of our brother. And we're just looking, Lord Jesus, for you to do the same. And these other quests, requests that we've made known to you. Now tonight, fathers, we approach you through the word. We're asking that you would help us. Help me, Lord, that I can get out of the way. Help the people, Father. Their needs are many. I know that. But I pray that you would help them no matter what distress is brought upon them by the time that we're in. May the Spirit of God help them to be able to have their confidence in you, Lord, to know you're the same God who's watched all these ages that have passed through, and we know that you'll take care of us through this difficult time. Would you minister to those, Father, maybe some lost their jobs and uncertain what they're going to do and which direction they're going to go? May the peace of God be there for them, Lord. I pray the Holy Ghost would just comfort each heart tonight according to their need. Anoint us, speak to us from your word, Father. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. And all the saints visible and invisible said, Amen. God bless you, saints, so much. Appreciate you with all our heart. I miss you so bad. I can't hardly stand it. I just long to see you again. And whenever we can be able to be together, we'll just make the best of it as we can and do what God will help us to do. Uh, I'd like to call your attention back again tonight to verse uh, 16, looking again at the pride of life. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And the word there, Aldozenia is boasting, empty, braggart talk, insolent and empty assurance, which trusts in its own power and assurance, which trusts in its own power and resources. Now, its own assurance, own ability, own resources, and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. Now, the truth of it is that every person that is born into the world is born with these three elements. That is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They may manifest themselves in different ways. Why are we all born with this? Because we're born of a woman. And when we are born of the woman tree, then it is a sign that we've been contaminated. And this is why the Lord Jesus must come of a virgin birth to remedy our natural birth by a woman. And whenever Satan knew if he could interject himself by his nature 
into the human tree and all that would be born of that tree would be contaminated by these three sources. Now again, whenever it would change from the Medo-Persians to the Greeks to the Roman Empire, it would really make no difference because all human beings, whether they were Greeks, Romans, Macedonians, whether they were Persians, Iraqis, whatever more, that really didn't matter. That was more of a cultural thing by which they were brought up. But every one of them across the board, whether they are Jew or Gentile, every one of them are contaminated by these three major flaws. Now, the the important thing to recognize is even after the new birth, we are still left contaminated with such. Now, those who actually are operated by the rule which these things dominate their lives, those who live under the influence of this type of a pride. Now, remember, this is Satan's mark on every one of us. Then many, you know, their pride of life is what they own. My goodness, if they get a new dress, they can't keep from flaunting it around or, or a new suit or a new car or whatever it is, the house they live in, it's better than everybody else's. But yet, some people's pride is more hidden. It's more on the inside. And then some is more religious. Those that are dominated with this type of thing, they actually feel that they have a dominance over everybody else. They actually see themselves as being a little bit above and better than others. That's why the law that applies to others simply does not apply to them. And that's why they will always look for a way around it. The law says, no, don't do this. But the way they look at the law, and this is why you'll always have problems with them, whether it's religious problems or natural problems with the law, because they always look at every do and every don't, and they look at themselves as being above that. So if the law says, no, you cannot do this, well, they look at that and say, but that don't apply to to me because I'm better than that. So I'm going to call the senator, I'm going to call Congress, I'm going to call a judge, I'm going to call somebody to work around because I'm better, I'm higher than the average person. So they cannot stand it. They absolutely cannot stand it. And they look at themselves as being better. Now the sad part about it is that we've got people who come to every church, in the message, out of the message, every denomination, and they look at themselves in that same mindset so they have this pride of life. Well, if the deacon said, now look, we're going to have to implement these certain, certain things, and no matter how well you explain it, they will always come back and say, but that don't apply to me. I'm better than that. No, 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 no. You don't understand. No, no, no. That, that's everybody else. But that's not me. Oh, but it is you. You see. But what makes people do that? The pride of life. Now, from within them, in the mind, which is pulsated by this emanating power from the soul, they hear it, that's right, that's right, and they take their pitchfork and they apply it to everybody else except for themselves. So in their minds, they have this proud, arrogant type of thing that it does not apply to them. In direct opposition to the spirit of pride, the Lord Jesus came. 
came with the greatest display of humility could ever be expressed. There's not a person alive tonight with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that would ever be able to go as far and stoop as far in the realm of humility as our Lord did. There's no way we can. Now we are truly required by the law of God to express ourselves in humility. We know that. But we do not have the ability to go as low and the reason of it is because we were never as high as he was. Now this is actually the key to understanding the mystery of the Godhead. If you try to understand the mystery of the Godhead without an understanding of kenosis you will always come short because the mystery of kenosis is what allows you to go deeper and farther beyond than what theology will ever let you go. So kenosis is the very key that brings in the great uh, complicity of it but yet expressed in simplicity. It is very complex. Yes it is. It is very complex and it has so much to it but once you see through the kenosis of Christ it helps to tie the very simplicity of God. Satan cannot understand it. He wants absolutely nothing to do with it. Neither do his people and I hate to say it but neither do many religious people as well. They always think of what they can do that will help benefit them and what will lift them up what will you know people will know well I did this and I did this and this will get me accolades of praise and so on but a real born again child of God doesn't even think in that way at all now he come in the form of a servant he was not only just condescend from the great eternal stooping down from living in the theophany body but actually coming into a time body which had a a beginning. Now listen to it this way, that the prophet said it like this, that Jesus was not eternal. Now in this, Jesus had a day he started, but Christ didn't. But Jesus, which is the human body, had a day that it began. And this is why it could die. The eternal could never die. Christ could not die. But Jesus could die because Jesus started and Jesus had a day that the breath went from his body. But now Jesus has entered into that eternal realm. So what started moved beyond time into an eternal essence. Oh glory. And that's the way that we will as well. Because we will follow in that order after the order of Melchizedek. Now our body started at a certain time. But yet we know at one time we were in the mind of God eternal. We never started on any certain day. Wasn't saved on any certain day. But in the mind of God, excuse me, we always were. But our body had a day at started but those who are alive and remaining though we had a day when we will start a day when we took the breath of life if we take the rapture we will never have a day that we will die because our bodies will go into the sequence of the dynamics of the resurrection which is already working in our souls this very night 
But the key to being reaching this exaltation in the presence of God comes to what? Humility and expressing ourselves in the way of the form of littleness and not greatness. Now God truly wants to exalt us and crown us with a body change or if we go by the way of the grave, He wants to crown us with a resurrected body. But there'll never be one proud, arrogant, puffed up person that'll ever have a body body change. Totally impossible. Because pride was what brought this all about in the very beginning. So if pride caused Satan to lose his position, how could God accept one person in the message that has pride, arrogance, flamboyant attitude, whatever they have, and the whole world works around them and they're this and that and the other. How could God ever allow one of them to go into the rapture when he kicked the devil out of heaven for that very thing? He cannot. So Every member in the bride of Christ will have to be of a kenosis birth herself. In order to bring this type of birth to us, it was a condescension of the great eternal that come and begin in the womb of a woman when God himself, the creator, took on the form of his own creation. In order to bring those of us which are going to be created after him in his own genealogy, that he would bring us to a new birth which would supersede and bypass anything that we as mortals could ever have. This is why really in one sense of the word it's foolish for us to accept anything that would keep us away from the exaltation of what Christ wants us to be. But we think then why is it so great and the reward and the offer of our Lord so great? Why would we struggle with it even after we are born again? Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is still left in our humanity. But as the mediator between God and man, he must condescend and bridge the gap between the eternal and the time creatures that are left across the chasm on the other side of sin. God, the sinless one, could not come in that form. But God must come in the form of a son which could condescend. He loved fatherhood, so he must come in the form of sonship in order to redeem those sons and daughters which were in his thinking before the world began. So with our exaltation, what do we bring? We would bring arrogance and pride and the end would wind up in result. Was his humiliation, was his condescension, what did he bring us to his condescension? Our eternal exaltation. He brought to us a new birth which would lift us even in these mortal bodies in a sphere that Paul would say that we have already been raised in Christ Jesus and sitting in heavenly places already by the resurrection. Praise God. So our, our exaltation, we exalt ourselves we're this, that, or the other. What does it bring us? It brings us shame. But His humility brings us resurrection, power, enlightenment, and a new body in the world that is to come. Notice who the perfect obedience of the Word of God in His own life was contending with Himself as we looked at it here Sunday, that bringing His own body subject to the dynamics of the soul that lived in him and through the humiliation of this 
type of life and sacrifice, it resulted in bringing our disgrace to a place of grace. It exalted our humiliation of our shame and our displacement in the economy of God into a place that we have been high and lifted up. And truly, we are the beloved of the eternal. And he brought us from a place of disobedience, brought us from a place of total annihilation from the presence of God into exception, that we are now accepted in the beloved. And yet we know truly that conversion alone is not enough to keep us from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he was here, he spoke in many ways to be able to refute what man at that time was bringing uh, to the people in that they was taking the law and bringing to the people, well, if you do this and you do this, you're holy and you're righteous and you're so on. And it would seem as if though the Lord Jesus spent so much of his time embarrassing and humiliating and downgrading mainly the Pharisees. Now, they were the largest in number. They had the most political clout. They were the ones that was the richest, basically, of all of them. And they had more sway in the Sanhedrin than the Essenes or the Sadducees did. And Jesus spoke against them more than any of the rest. And he used them quite often in a negative type and shadow. Now, we'd like to read this, if we can, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus says he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Now notice the setting of this parable. Luke says he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So what are these people the epitome of? The pride of life. Now not so much the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes but the pride of life. So Jesus is going to declare this parable to those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, what these people did was they practiced spiritual quarantine. Now, they quarantined themselves separate from everybody else. Because they would not allow you to touch them. You were not to come near where they were. So they were practicing spiritual quarantine. So they were touch me nots. So don't get close to me. Don't breathe on me. Don't sneeze on me. Don't cough on me. Just stay away. Keep distance from me if you don't mind. Because I am so righteous. I am so holy. So they demanded a quarantine. Now watch how Jesus goes into this. In verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now Jesus chose these positions uh, so it would correlate with the mindset of that day. Now to us a Pharisee would mean nothing because we don't even have any Pharisees left. Nor do we have the setting of a publican. Now look at this, what a publican actually was. A publican was a telones, which was a tax gatherer or a collector of taxes or tolls. The tax collectors were as a class detested. Not only by the Jews, but by other nations also, both on account of their employment 
and on the harshness of greed and deception with which they did their job. Now the tax collectors, as you know, Matthew was a tax collector. So the Romans would make the tax collectors not to be Romans, but to be Jews. Because they knew they would take a Jew, say, out from the city of Elizabethan because he was more familiar with what the Jews did. So he knew all the converter guys, he knew all the painting guys, the sheetrock guys, all the tent guys, you know, everything they done. Well, the Romans, if you'd have said a Roman in there, well, what do you do? Well, I'm unemployed. I don't, I don't work. I don't do anything. Well, the Romans wouldn't have known. So they picked one from among their own people. Now, the Romans actually would let the tax collector make a little bit of profit himself on the taxes. And the Jews knew this. So uh, this, you can imagine when the Lord Jesus called Matthew, which was the son of Levi. Matthew had made Peter pay taxes on his fishing. So Mark and all the rest of these guys, Simon and, and his brother Andrew, they had paid taxes to Andrew or to, uh, to Matthew rather, and they knew that Matthew had cheated them. And then Jesus calls him to be in the message and be one of the message preachers. Now you imagine that went over real good in that day. They probably had to deal with grudges and hard feelings just like we would in this day and time. Now notice, so Jesus picks a Pharisee, which is a touch-me-not, a righteous, self-quarantine type of a guy, except he didn't quarantine 14 days at a time. His whole life was a quarantine. He stayed away pretty much from everybody. And whenever then the Lord Jesus, now he wants to run a contrast, so he takes a publican, which was a tax collector, and he takes this self-righteous guy, and he says, both of them going to the same place. Now, if they're going to the same place there must needs be a quarantine because there ain't no way that this Pharisee is going to be anywhere near where this tax collector is going to pray and Jesus says two men went up to the temple to pray the one a Pharisee and the other a publican the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself now what a strange way to pray that you are praying with or in other words about yourself. Now if you've ever noticed this or not but listen carefully. This is the pride of life. Notice how Jesus worded this. The Pharisee stood and prayed. Now standing was, a, was an acceptable way, a way of praying. So that was not wrong so much. But the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself or about himself. Now notice how that he starts praying. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I am quarantined, I've got on my mask, I've got on my sanctimonious gloves, I don't go here, I don't go there, I've never been to Disney in my life, I wouldn't go to that hell hole, I'll tell you what, I would never do no such a thing. Now that's the way a lot of folks would you know, approach it today. I don't do this and I don't do that. And I want you to notice now the, 
the importance of the way Jesus sets forth the way this man talks to God. But what he's talking to God about is himself and how good he is, how righteous he is. I want you to notice in this man's prayer, he never asks for one thing. He never asks for help. He never asks for strength. He never asks for guidance. He never asks for forgiveness. Why? Brother Darrell, he doesn't think he needs it. He doesn't think he needs help to live the Word. He's got the Word down so perfect, he don't even need God to help him do it. He don't ask God, God give me strength to help me live this Word. Why? He doesn't think he needs strength. He's got this perfected. To him, this is an ability that he can do. I've got this, God. I've got it. I'm good. I'm good. Use your power on weaklings. I really don't need it. Ma, I want you to notice what a prayer. There's no petition in the prayer for pardon. There's no request in the prayer for help. In the time of need. There's no solicitation or a request. Oh God, I I come before you today. God, I've got many needs. No. Why? Because he prays with himself. Well, God, here I am. Boy, you're lucky to have me. There ain't many like me, I know. But you're so lucky, God. You're so blessed even to have me in your kingdom. How the devil would love to have me, God. But I decided to let you have me instead. Oh, it's all my doing, God. I made up my mind. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's all to me, God. I made up my mind I was going to serve you. I've done this. I've done that. Pride of life. Oh, my No request for strength to perform the required duties. No petition, God help me, that I can be faithful to the end. This is already finished. As far as he's concerned, why do you need to waste your time praying for God to keep you faithful? Why do you need to pray that God will give you the ability to endure? Why, of course I'm going to endure. I want to. Why, of course. This is me. Entirely me. Oh, but my Bible tells me, let a man take heed when he thinks he stands, lest he fall. But you see, Jesus sets forth a man that is absolute. Now notice Jesus does not say anything about the man lusting for women or the man having a drinking problem or a man having a covetous problem. The man's problem is the pride of life which consummates in what? What we would typify, this man would make a number one message believer. Now, if he was sitting in message churches as far as do's and don'ts, he'd be one of them guys that if Brother Branham drove a Ford, he'd drive a Ford. 
If Brother Branham said he never bought nothing on Sunday, you'd never find him going through a drive-thru on Sunday. If Brother Branham said whatever he said, whether it was Brother Branham's human choice or whatever, this type of guy would do it to the letter. He would highlight no selling on Sunday in red, green, and purple. He would bold it. He would underline it. Whatever the prophet of God said, that's what he would do. And he would never be one when the preacher would preach down of how many need strength. You never find this type of guy ever raising his hand for strength for the service. Believe me, I've seen many of them as I've preached to around the world. Hundreds sit there under conviction and feel the Spirit of God dealing with their heart. They never raise their hand for help. They never raise their hand for strength because to them it's already a done deal within themselves. And my years of ministry, they're some of the ones I feel the most sorry for. Oh, they look at the one with bobbed hair and they look at the woman that's struggling with cutting her hair and maybe makeup and this and that and they'll sit there and shake their head. But in my years of experience, it's them religious ones that you'll have a harder time ever getting through to the Holy Ghost because they think they've already got it. This man right here would be identified as a man in this day looking at it in the natural sense that had the token. Because of the way people think the token is. Well, hallelujah. You see, in order to bring himself before God, he walks in and he, God, I thank you, Lord. I'm not like Michael Bailey. Oh, thank you, God. I'm not like him. I thank you, God. I'm not like Jack Yance. Oh, Lord, the more I think about it, the more I thank you. I'm not like anybody I know, Lord. Oh, God, I don't know how I even deal with all these poor mortals in this earth. I am the highest of the supreme of your Christians. You are lost, friend. If you think that about yourself, you need the Holy Ghost. It's one of the best signs in the world. You don't have it. It's a spirit of the devil that has got inside of our message and try to exalting people because they do this and they don't do that. And many of our young people were raising them almost like second and third and fourth generation Amish and Mennonite and Dunkard. And they don't cut their hair simply because they were raised not to. And then when they go to college and they, they ask them, well, how come you don't cut your hair? Well, I don't know. Mama don't. Mama told me, I don't know. I don't know. Well, where's it at in the Bible? Well, I don't know. Brother Random said, well, who's Brother Random? Well, where's it at in the Bible? Well, I don't know. Well, God don't say that. Well, how come you do this? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And we're leading them to quotes. And we're leading them to the stipulation of do's and do nots. But oh, how we need to lead them to the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Notice this man. Oh my, instead of blessing God, he actually blesses himself. He blesses himself. He doesn't come with this humble, broken, contrite spirit, but God, I thank you. I, 
I am not as other men. So in his prayer, he blesses himself before God. My Lord Jesus. And yet in reality, he was as other men. In his own eyes, he was not. He was as lost as other men were lost. But he was deceived. He was in a terrible state. Because he said, God, I thank you I'm not as other men. I'm not an extortioner, God. I don't drink. I don't this and that and the other. But you look at the way Jesus reproached the Pharisees. And everything this man mentioned that he was and Jesus condemned them of being. They made pretense of widows' houses. They made long prayers. They, they, was, they was as false. They was as empty and void as they can be. But yet going before God, he looked at himself. Oh God, I thank you. Oh God, I thank you for who I am. Lord, what I have achieved. What you have accomplished through my life. I am one great person. Oh yeah, God, you're good too. But, but really, I'm focusing on me now. You're, you're, you're okay, God. But really, I... I just here to bless myself in your presence oh Lord Jesus extortioners unjust adulterers the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God I thank thee I'm not as other men oh I'm not like them they're extortioners they're unjust, they're adulterers, or even as this publican. Now, even in his quarantine distance of six feet or whatever it was, he saw this guy. So he's pointing at him. Oh, God, I can't believe they even allowed this man to come in. Now, you know where this man was? He was in the court of the Gentiles even though he was a Jew but yet he felt so unworthy as a Jew he had every right to walk right in there where the Pharisee was now that was his right but his right had been tempered by his attitude Glory to God. His right had been adjusted by the right attitude. And he could have said, oh yes, I've got a right to stand right there. I'm a son of Abraham. I've got the same right. Yeah, I've done evil, but this guy right here, I've seen him, I've seen him do the widows the same way I do them. I've seen him do this and that and that. I've got the same right. But this man's attitude adjusted his Jewish right. Oh, we've got rights as Americans. We can dress any way we want to. We can do anything we want to do. But our godly attitude adjusts our rights. And we forfeit our rights as sheep of God. Do we not? We forfeit our rights as lamb of God, as children of God. And we want to walk in the way of kenosis. And we forfeit our rights. Oh, you've got a right to go out and do whatever. That's right. We can do that if we want to. But we don't want to do it. Oh, listen at him. I fast twice in the week. Isn't this amazing? The Jewish law required the males to fast once a year. And that was at the time 
of the atonement. But you see, this man was one of them legalist type of guys. That if a law said fast once a year, oh, he could do better than that. So he upped it. Instead of doing it once a year, he did it twice a week. And he let everybody and their brother know about it too. So in other words, he fasted in vain. Because he was doing it for what? The pride of life. Oh my goodness. What a wretched, miserable, lost man this was. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now Jesus dissected these guys in the book of Matthew. Whenever he said that they pay tithes of mint and rue and cumin. Now this was their herbs. And many of these people would have a little small herb garden beside their house. So they were so strict. Now according to the law, they were to pay tithes of their increase. In other words, if they had 10 sheep, they had males and females, they would have little ones born and they was increased by 100, they would pay tithes of their increase. But these guys were so legal that if they had 10 plants of mint, 20 plants of rue, 30 plants have come in. Whenever they come up, they tithe on every one of them. You imagine going down through there and cutting the leaf off of a mint plant. What's that? Ties. Ties. Oh, I cannot pay my ties. They were so legal and so lost. But they were so full of pride and arrogance. God help us. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And this man's pride condemned him in the eyes of the Lord Jesus so much that he would use his life as an example of being tarnished and damned. Lord have mercy. What is this? It's the exact example again of the prodigal son and his brother. Again, another parable. And we know it well. And look at the brother. Oh, he come in. What, what's all this music? Oh, your, your brother, he, he's come back. Oh, he pouted. He got angry, got mad. His father heard that he was there. He said, son, come on in. I've been faithful to you. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other. You've never even given me one kid to be able to celebrate with my family. Oh, but he said, this is your brother. He was lost. He's found. He was blind, but now he sees come. No, his attitude would not let him come. What was it? Full of the pride of life. Oh, my. Notice. His failure was a lack of humility and a proud, selfish attitude. Notice verse 13. It made this man here, before we read this verse 13, it made him cold, hard, calculated. It made his prayer 
like an icicle. It was full of form and routine. No doubt practiced. And he knew his words well. I'd rather pray a prayer that I stumbled and I, I, I missed words and I missed nouns and wrong pronouns and put them in the wrong place. But yet prayed it with all the sincerity of my heart. I'd rather have a prayer like that. I'd rather be like Bartimaeus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And the Lord Jesus be able to hear my prayer than stand and people say, oh my, what great accolades, what great words he can use. And yet God turn a deaf ear to my prayer. Notice verse 13 now as Jesus sets forth a man which is stripped of pride. And the publican, tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes. Now the publican is also practicing self-quarantine. He looks at himself and he said, God, I'm so lost. I've robbed your children. I've taken from them naturally. I've not, I've not been a good man. I've lived beneath the covenant of Abraham. I am so lost. I don't even feel worthy to walk into the court of where these other people go. I'm going to stand out here in the court of the Gentiles. You imagine the Pharisee as he stood there with his chest all puffed out and his nose stuck up in the air and his eyes lifted up. But this man develops an opposite posture. Notice how Jesus, now remember this is a parable. It has a heavenly meaning. Standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Standing, now remember, in the court of the Gentiles. But smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now remember, the Pharisee wanted respect. And many of them, you were to stand at least four cubits away from them to respect their holiness. Now, cubit was about the length of a man's arm from his fingertips back to his bend of his arm here. Average size man would have been about 18 inches. So they wanted, guess what? Six foot. Don't take you're the first one to practice self-quarantine. But this was a religious quarantine. So don't get close to their space and leave them alone because your unholiness might get over on them a little bit. They wasn't scared of COVID-19. They never heard of such a thing. Now, we know how we're feeling now with this quarantine thing and all that. I don't mind telling you, I don't like it. God make us to be social creatures. We're made to hug one another's neck and shake one another's hands and all that. I don't like all this stuff, and I'll be glad when it's all done, won't you? But yet, can you imagine having this attitude that you want this six foot of space around you all the time? Don't you get close to me, Michael, you low down sorry sinner. You people stay away from me. I'm, I'm his holiness. I'm this and that and the other. 
My goodness, you imagine when there was Pharisees standing in the, in the in hearing range of this sermon that day, and when they heard the Lord Jesus use them in this example, their face must have got red, their face must have flushed up, and they got so angry and so mad because there they was, and the Lord Jesus was picking on them and humiliating them right in front of the crowd. Ooh. But notice this man, whenever he comes, he stands off and he doesn't even raise his eyes, much less his head. So he keeps in this posture. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast. Oh my. In this humble posture standing there, notice Jesus doesn't say he stood with himself. As a matter of fact, he wasn't proud of himself. It was himself that got him in so much trouble. You see, as long as we stand with ourselves before God, we'll never get through. That's why Brother Bram tells us in 1958, he said, if I found confidence in you, he said, you take my word for this. When a person has done you wrong, and no matter how wrong they've done you, if you go before the throne of God, and if you stand there long enough, and you pray through, you'll get to feeling sorry for that person. And he said, you'll come away from the throne of God. Then, Lord, made me my brother this, my brother that. But you see, as long as we're standing before the throne of God with ourselves." We'll never get through to think about our brother. Because, well, they hurt me. They done this. They done that. Yeah, you're standing there before God with yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sympathy for yourself. Feeling all your prayers for yourself. Look, wake up. You're not the only one in this world. There's lots of other people that's going through a whole lot worse than we are. Well, praise the Lord. I found out myself every time that I take me before the throne of God, the longer I stay with me, the longer I've wasted my time. The Bible tells me when Job prayed for his friends, God turned around his captivity. I'm not saying don't pray for yourself, but don't focus on you every time you go to pray. Well, praise the Lord. Notice this man standing here broken. Brother Dale, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but whenever the man stands there and whenever he stands with his head bowed, and you know, we can bow our heads, but we can also raise our eyes, but he wouldn't even do that. So he stands there with his head bowed and his eyes either closed or bowed down. But the man smites himself on the breast. What's he doing? He's hitting the guilty part. God, it's my heart. It ain't my hands. He wasn't hitting his hands, hitting his feet, hitting his legs, hitting his head. But he kept hitting himself. And the, the verb there that Luke used when he wrote this is that he hit himself over and over and over and over again. He kept hitting the guilty place. Where was it? Right here, God. Right here is the center of my problem. It's right here, God. It's my heart. I know where it is. 
That's what caused me to do all these things. That's the source of my problem, God. I'm hitting the guilty part. God, I don't want to stand here and point my finger at this one or that one or that one. I want to stand here, God, and smite the guilty place. It's my heart, God. Oh, if I could just quit, get my fingers to quit buying cigarettes. Don't smite your fingers. Smite your heart. If I could get my eyes off of ungodly women, it ain't your eyes. It's your heart. Smite your heart. But he said, God, be merciful to be a sinner. So the verb that, that Luke used, our smote, is in the tense that means he kept on smiting or kept on beating. He kept on pounding as he was praying in the expression. He was hitting himself and praying, God, be merciful to me. Me, right here. The sinner God is right here. This is the fountain my sin I abhor it I hate it God you imagine by now the man is maybe raising his voice and getting excited and the Pharisee standing there with himself standing around why do they even allow people like that to come into the temple I can't believe it I'm going to have to get on over a little bit my prayer is interrupted Lord Jesus, the prayer of the Pharisee was false. It was a sham. It was empty. God never even heard it. It was cold, formal, frigid, no feeling. But the prayer of the publican, on the other hand, was short, powerful, meaningful. From his soul and answered, Praise God! Praise God! How can God answer the prayer of a Pharisee? He can't. He asked for nothing. How can God answer the prayer of a man who thinks he needs nothing? Lord Jesus. Now listen to Jesus as he responds in verse 14. I tell you. That's good enough for me. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Look at the contrast between the results. The Pharisee received nothing because he asked for nothing. All of his pompous language and all of his, you know, ceremony that he went through gained him absolutely nothing in the presence of God. But the prayer of the publican, the tax collector, rendered him justified. I'll tell you what, I about had me a spell the other day whenever I found this word because the word justified is a legal term. Justified means declared righteous. It is a legal term that means all the evidence has been destroyed. 
And there is no record that you have ever sinned. It also means that God no longer keeps a record of your sins. But instead he puts your sins on the account of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh my, yet they were both standing in the same building, in the same place. The Pharisee could have got that too, but he never thought he needed it. He could have walked away justified by the grace of God, but he never thought he needed justified. He paid his tithes, he played tapes, he done this, he done that. But what was he all referencing? Me, myself, I. Oh God, I don't need no help, I don't need no strength. But the publican said, God. God, I'm the problem. God, right here's the problem. Can you help me, Jesus? Can you help me? Oh, Lord. The Pharisee was boasting, but the tax collector was praying. The Pharisee, really, when you look at the petition of what prayer actually is, he wasn't really praying. He was boasting. Oh, my. But this publican, he didn't have nothing to boast about. Nothing, not one good thing did he have to say about himself, his family, his lineage, not one thing. I'll tell one, I'm the son son of Abraham, I'm this, that, and the other. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he smote himself right where the guilt was. My daddy, if my daddy hadn't have done this, and my, my mama, I'll tell you one thing, but he smote himself. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, notice this. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased. Look at this word exalteth. Lift up. To lift up on high. To exalt. Metaphorically, to raise to the very summit of opulence. I met a few of them opulent Christians before. And prosperity, to exalt, to raise, to dignity, honor, and happiness. Now a person, a person can enter into a religious spirit and actually be exalted within themselves. This man felt like he had arrived. He was at the utopia of the presence of God. And no doubt he experienced an element of happiness. There can be happiness, believe it or not, in deception. And this man was totally deceived. And he was so happy about it. But this publican said, I am so miserable. I am so miserable. I cannot live another day. I'm not even worthy to go to church. I'm not even worthy to even go up there. This is why Brother Ram said that sinners could come up and get saved, come up and get healed. And saints sitting there having long hair and whatever more would miss their healing because they think, well, God, I'm a good Christian as if God owes it to us because we're Christians. God don't owe us anything. God heals us because of our faith, not because you're a Christian or been saved for 56 years. God honors your faith. And that's what we must realize. Quit praying with yourself. Leave yourself out of it. Oh God, I'm this, I'm that. I pray. Lord, I've been a believer now for all these years. I want you to heal me. Don't approach God that way. But God, you see, I've got needs in my body. I approach you today by the price you paid at Calvary. I approach you today. I ain't got my goodness. I ain't got none. I ain't got no good things about me, Lord. But I approach you today because you've already suffered stripes so that I could be healed. Oh, hallelujah. 
Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. But he that humbleth himself, oh my. You see, pride oftentimes keeps Christians from truly repenting of their sins, especially if they're public in nature. <laughs> they won't acknowledge it. Oh, no. Acknowledge that they've sinned because pride. My, my. Pride won't let them do it. You see, even godly people have to watch pride. How can I overcome? Now, let's just take, for instance, like our sisters. They're pretty. And it can get you to a place that you let your hair grow out. And you didn't realize it looked so nice on you. And the first thing you know, you kind of get a feeling a little stuck up. A little above something else. Isn't that amazing? Now, a lot of sisters, when they first come to the Lord, quit cutting their hair. It's one of the hardest battles. <clears throat> and then when they finally overcome it, and they let their hair grow out long, and then someone says, you're so pretty. Your hair is beautiful. Your hair is so pretty. And if they're not careful, Satan will turn it right around on them. And that very thing which, that made them such a hard battle and such a trial, Satan turns it right around and turns it into what? A pride of life. Then their crown, that Brother Rem talked about the crown of thorns in this day, of the, the sister's hair, their long hair being like a crown of thorns. Then it turns around, instead of being a crown of thorns, it becomes a crown of pride. Or a proud, a crown of glory by which they exalt and think, well, I am more pretty. I, I'm more attractive with that long hair. Well, I mean, if he can't stop you, then he'll turn you right around. Watch, he said, some of you men, you know what I mean. He can take the same thing and proposition it with you. You've got to overcome that. Just remember, you're living for God. You have one objective. If every member of this church and every bride member around the world would be able to accomplish this next paragraph that I'm going to read to you. We would be rapture ready by the end of the week. Now listen, I know that's a profound statement. You have one objective. That's Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there's nothing else counts. That's Him. Then secondly, for your family. Then thirdly, for yourself. But first, for God. Next, for your family, and next, for you. You're number three. That's the end of the road. Put yourself, what? Last. Put yourself last, he did. Now this is when the bride will reach that place around the world that we are rapture ready. Now I know we thought, oh, it's the revelation of the seven thunders. Oh my, it's the revelation of this. Oh, it's the revelation of that. Revelation of that. Oh my, they're going to find the tape. And the rapture and faith lays on the tape. So they're, they're going to find the tape that's buried back somewhere. And oh, it's going to be some Brother Ram's preach that we've never heard it before. And the bride all around the world will hear that tape. We'll all get rapture and faith. Oh, what a bunch of nonsense. We must have a life that reflects the life of the bridegroom. Amen. It must be a life like Enoch, that Enoch walked with God day by day, sermon by sermon, tape by tape, quote by quote, scripture by scripture. And we must walk by that. And when we can get to that spot to where we find our place, and most of us struggle still in aspects of our life, we want to be number one. 
Sweet Jesus. We want to be number one. This is why it's always about us. I, me, mine. This is why we have arguments. Takes two to argue. And we only argue because we think we're right and the other person thinks they're right. And if somebody would give up the argument and lower their pride, their argument will what? Automatically stop. Well, I love what Brother Bram said about arguing. He said, God don't argue, neither do his children. So, amen. That's why I'm not going to argue. But it will be your entire battle of life to get you out of the wrong place. Now, for most of us, we would say, oh, God's first. Now, now, Brother Donnie, I differ with you. God's first. I wish I could say that I agreed with you. And no doubt in a lot of areas in our life, we think he is. But I wonder how many areas in our life he is not. Sweet Jesus. Because of the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. But the perfect divine order of kenosis was what? The Lord Jesus, which was, now listen, the Christ was the Father. He was actually in the form of the Father in eternity. And he stepped down from being that to become in the form of the Son. Now remember, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what is he now through the church ages and has he been for for 2,000 years? Jesus actually, in the form of Son of God, is manifesting himself in that third attribute in the earth, which is what? Baptism of the Holy Ghost. How many believes he's in heaven tonight interceding for us? Well, what's living inside of you? That same God in the third attribute, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But if he would have come to die for our sins in the expression of the third attribute, he could not have died. If he would have come in the first attribute of fatherhood, he could not have died. So the fatherhood must be appropriate. It must be in the right place. Sonship must be in the right place. Baptism of the Holy Ghost or the living and morphe of God in the baptism of the Holy Ghost living in the hearts of the saints. It's the same way with us. We must find our place in the sequence. God must be first, not just on Sunday, but he must be first every day of our life. He must be first in business deals and business transactions and our dealings with righteous and unrighteous and so on and so on. And then secondly, it must be our family. And thirdly, must be us. We are last. Last. But we tend to skirt around and, and we, we want number two position. And then we, I'm tired of, you know, doing this for my wife and and this for the kids and this for my, I need me time. I need my time and me time and I this and I that. I work hard. Well, good. If you got a job, you're lucky. You're one of the more fortunate ones in this time. But what about me? What about me? I do this and I do that. Careful. Careful. You sound like that Pharisee guy. Remember, you're the last. But we want number two. The problem is, for most of us, we want both pole positions. Second and first. And then God takes third. Our wife is fifth, unless mama needs us, and then she's before the wife. 
And then daddy's in there somewhere and then kids and then however you've got that all figured out in your life. And we think we're so surrendered to God. So surrendered to God. Right here, friends, is rapture ready people. Preachers, deacons, trustees, all of us, every member of the bride will have to be right here in this last paragraph of this quote. Then we are ready to be changed. Now, we don't move in there on Sunday and then move out. Okay, God, now look, look I'll let you have yesterday. Now, look, I've got to be in charge of my life, okay? Now, this is Monday, so you get back in your spot. God said, I'm in my spot. This is number one. Oh, no, I forgot to tell you, that only works on Sunday. Well, I might love you having on Wednesday if you'll be good, God. But other than that, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, need, to, I need to do these things. There's certain things I need because, God, I just can't trust you. You know what I'm saying, God? I mean, right? Yeah, I, I just can't trust you. You know, you're older than I am. I know you've made a lot of decisions and everything. But, but look, God, you've never been me. So really, I need to be the God of my own life. I need to be the God of my existence. Friends, this is what Satan is trying to produce in this age. Don't you see why Darwinism must precede the Laodicean age? Isn't it amazing? A man who started out in, in church as a boy, who got baptized as a boy, Charles Darwin, you ever studied his history? A boy being baptized in the church, and years later, after he went to the Galapagos and went to all these places, and wrote that he wished he'd have never said some of the things that he said. But don't you understand why a man this age needed the theory of evolution? Because of all they had done and all they accomplished, they did not have a way to explain away from an almighty God being the one who created everything. So no matter what they ever accomplished, what they ever looked at, it's like that hung over them until Satan was able to get a man and anoint that man and send him right over there to the Galapagos and go to studying, you know what, of all things finches. Go to studying finches. And he looked at all these different finches on the Galapagos Islands and seen that one had a little hump in its bill. And another one had a more pointed straight bill. And another one had a wide fat bill. And he, in his mind, he got to thinking, well, this one evolved in order to eat this certain food. And then he got to looking at the, at the birds, you know, the, the, the little hummingbirds. And he looked at one that had a real long crooked type of thing. And he watched how that it would feed. And it would would go to a particular flower species that would just be that one and the flower had this little hook that would go down inside no other bird can even reach this sweet nectar on the inside and he sees this one hummingbird as it comes in and its beak is perfectly formed to fit inside this one flower so he says am I it was by selective choice this little bird decided he needed to evolve that is one little smart bird I'm telling you what how he and just think, I need to evolve and all of a sudden his beak just goes crook. Wonder if I could do that and take that big crook out of my nose I've got there. I don't figure it'd work, do you? Wonder if I could think about being a more handsome man and all this ugly would leave me. I don't figure it'll work. Neither did it work on that bird. But what did they do? It gave them something that would precede the Laodicean age to where the man's pride and exaltation would raise him to a place that now he's above a creator. He no longer points back to 
one great mind that made all the animals. No, the animals made themselves. Well, they decided they needed to do this and that and the other, so they just decided. Well, if they decide that, why don't, why don't they still decide? I tell you what, I'm sick of a lot of this stuff. Why don't we all decide there won't be no more disease? Now, let's just see if we can decide it all away. I'm tired of being a 63-year-old man. Be 64 before long. Y'all, y'all agree with me in your deciding powers and decide I'll go back to being about 35. What do you say? Waste of time, right? But what does it do to man in this age? It exalts him. It exalts him to where now he can be a God and be in charge of his life. We no longer need a creator. We've got an explanation for that. Well, just because they can explain it don't mean that it's true. So they stand in their laboratories and I'm this and I'm that. And God lets one little disease germ come out of a bat or whatever more and get in patient zero, whether it was the Wuhan lab or in the streets. Believe me, I've been to some of those wet markets and there's something to see. Whether it started, wherever it started, and he passed it to another or she and another, it exploded. It has paralyzed our world. We will never recuperate. Oh, we can print our money. It's only paper. We're getting deeper and deeper and deeper in. And yet, what does the governor of New York stand and say? We did this. It wasn't God. We did this. Well, he can say what he wants to. I'd say it's the prayers of God's children. Amen. I say it's the prayers of God's children. Get ourselves in this place. Let's close. And let's get in this place right here. And no matter what Satan does, he'll spend days, weeks, hours, months, and years. Right here's your greatest battle after getting the Holy Ghost. Trying to get you to move from here to here and ultimately here. Even if it's on occasion, you bumped God out of number one. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive us, Father. Lord, I don't want to stand here tonight as the Pharisee. Lord, and raise my eyes up to heaven and say how great and how wonderful. But Lord God, we want to say to you tonight, we need you. Lord Jesus, I need you to help me to constantly keep myself in my position, which is last. Lord, if every one of us will be honest and be sincere, we'll have to say, it's that part about us that gets us in trouble. We want this and we want that and we want something else for us. Oh, I'm tired of doing this for the family. I get tired of doing it for everybody else. When do I get my time? When do I get my this, that, the other? Lord Jesus would never find you saying that one time. Oh, how you could have said it going down the Via Dolorosa. As they beat you, Lord, they whipped you till there's hardly enough strength in your body to carry that cross. And you got so weak that they 
ask a man to come and help you. Not one time do we find you stopping saying, I'm sick of this. I can't take this. Where were you? You were in position three. In position one was the Father's will. In position two was your family, your wife. Hallelujah. Your family. Thank you, Jesus. And you were in what position? Last position three. Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, this is what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. This is what Satan did in heaven. He got tired of being in position two and wanted position one. Well, if he couldn't take position one, he would start another kingdom and take position one in that kingdom. Oh, Jesus. I know this is simple, but help us to see it, Lord. And we realize this where the battle has raged ever since. The two kingdoms with both rulers in position one. Then Satan offered to Eve in the Garden of Eden what? To move out of her place. To be like God or godlike. Not made in the image of God but to have traits and characteristics to be the God of her life. So we offered her that position. So she moved from her position over into the position of God. Oh, Lord. Adam then come, and he must change his position as well. Satan changed his position. He pulled the serpent out of his place. Spoke to Eve, pulled her out of her place. She in turn spoke to Adam, pulled Adam out of his place. It's been the whole story repeated over and over again, down through time. When Moses lifted his rod and smote the stone the second time, what did Satan convince him to do? Move out of his position into the role of being God. By doing so, it cost him his privilege to go into the land. Satan moved him out of his place. Talked David into committing adultery. What did he do? David moved out of his place. Took your eyes place. Help the people to see, Lord, this is their battle. After becoming a Christian, their whole life is the battle for position. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. Help me to get in my place, Lord. And stay there, Father. I smite myself, as it were, tonight, God. Help me that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, arrogance, vanity, pride, nothing, Lord God, will ever get me away from my place in Christ Jesus. Help me, Lord, to get in my place and stay there, which is last. Because that's the place of kenosis. Grant it, I pray, Lord. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord.
appreciated that tonight. Um, let's sing that, please forgive me, key of G. I don't ever want to be guilty of thinking I don't need his grace and his mercy. Let's just, let's ask him to forgive us tonight for all the times that we've not had him at number one, not had our family where they should be. I'm sure we've all had times in our lives where that's, that's been the case. Well, my sleep is gone. My heart is full of sorrow. I can't believe how much I've let you down. I tread the pain that awaits for me tomorrow when the sun reveals my broken dreams scattered on the ground please forgive me I need your grace to make it through Lord all I have is you I'm at your mercy
Brother Donnie brought that out. That the, the man that, that God help is the one that realized what the root of the problem was in his heart. I, I think that's so true for us. If anytime anything has ever went astray in our lives, we haven't loved God like we should. We wouldn't get in the positions that we get in. I'm just so thankful for the truth, and I'm so thankful for His grace. Let's just ask Him tonight, just once more, Lord, restore unto me the joy of our salvation. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a rise spirit within me sing it again in me a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within Let's love on you tonight. 
everybody being with us tonight with, with streaming and the folks here. Just remember the service Sunday morning. I'll be streaming again. Just pray for our pastor, whoever's bringing the word. Let's sing that Let the Fire Fall just as we, as we dismiss tonight. Be flat. I miss singing this with Aaron's choir. Look forward to having everybody back together again and worshiping. Let's, let's worship tonight. Just remember the services on Sunday. Lord, we are the ones called by your name. We humble ourselves now as we
fails now as we pray.